I shot six tens. I was like, okay, I can do this. Walked in and just, yeah, shot thirties after thirties. I was pacing the range by the end because the pressure was so high. And it was, it, it was great to do. Hello, welcome to Archery on My Mind, a podcast about the ins and outs of archery's mental game and elite performance. I am Guy Matzkin. Together, we'll dive into the minds of champions. Each episode, we'll get to know the greats, learn their mentalities, and find out what truly makes a champion. You can also follow us on our website, archermethod.com, a growing platform for elite performance in archery for more in-depth content in between episodes. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. And I'm very, very happy as to have the first person on this show, my very good friend, Sarah Priels. Welcome. Hi, Guy. Thank you for having me. What we're going to have today is more of, I don't want to call it an interview, but kind of like a chat over coffee. So I'm happy that you have your own uh, cup. I might need to get a refill in the middle and kind of have a chat and try to have the audience understand, like, how does it feel to be an elite archer? Some of people just look at you and be like, oh, she's so awesome. She shoots the 10 all the time. But you don't understand uh, necessarily what's going on. Let's the struggles, the challenges, because you know, especially today with social media, where everything is so just tens and amazing groupings, and we look at this score. And sometimes people don't realize that how archers like yourself reach that level, and that you, just like anybody else, might have some struggles along the way. So we're going to start actually from the end. All right. You just finished fifth, I believe, in the World Championships, correct? Did, yes. Yeah, I got yourself quota for World Games. Tell us a little bit about it. How does it feel? Are you happy? Are you disappointed? It's mixed feelings, obviously. You, you never want to go out. You, you know, we all go to win. Mm. Uh, but I'm happy with how I handle, handled the whole competition and didn't really let myself down which I'm proud of the last world championship I definitely let myself down in the quarterfinals and this year I didn't even though I opened the match with an eight you know on the big stage and yeah I'm happy about it obviously I wanted more but the goal was to get my space for the world games and I did Actually, I want to touch this a little bit because we're going to have the underlying theme of this chat is that, you know, when I met you for the first time in Edinburgh, I was very surprised to hear the way that you go around life and how you approach winning and everything. So even now, when you said we all go to win in the world championships and that you were disappointed that you didn't. I'm not entirely sure that everyone that goes to the world championship goes there to win. So it's it's amazing to see how 
you are directed at winning, which is amazing to me. So let's go back to that match against Sarah, uh, Sarah Lopez, sorry. You started with an eight. Was it 27 the first end, right? Yes. And then it was an amazingly tight match. Uh, whoever didn't see it was, did you clean the rest of it or just drop no, one, more point? one more point? Yeah, that was that was quite awesome. You got all the way to a shoot off, show a ten as well, and still lost. So how does that feel like having this amazing comeback, shooting a ten at, at the shoot off and still losing? Like I, I can only assume. Well, so until the last end, you, you go, okay, I'm doing my job, you know, the you're staying with her, you're not like letting yourself down, you know, after a 27 previous before covid i would say but i think you know the break gave me an amazing chance to reinvent myself probably mm-hmm. but before that i would have shot a 27 and followed by 27s instead <laughs> of 30s and a 29 because i would have thought that it was over and just not worked for it for it which i did and then you shoot the shoot you get to the shoot off you're like okay i did my job just one more good arrow and it is good it's just not good enough so obviously you get out of the field and you're disappointed you forget that you fought for 12 arrows after a really bad start and you just you need a bit of time to realize that actually you you did a good job and it wasn't as bad as you thought. Yeah, I think white people might hear you say that and be like, this is amazing to hear from her. I must say that on a personal note, this is even more amazing to hear that considering the Sarah I knew back in 2017 would probably end that match with smashing a few things. And as you said, shooting 27 and then another 27. What I'm actually curious watching that match is that you showed the first error was an eight and your facial expression, you were like, hmm, I'm surprised. And then afterwards you, and, and now as well, you say it was a bad arrow. Did you feel it was a bad arrow in real time? No, I didn't. I was really surprised by where it hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess the only explanation is it was a bad arrow. You know, you often hear Archer go, oh, but I shot well and it's, you know, an eight. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, it can't be. You know, if you shoot it well, it just can't be an eight unless the next one is an eight and then there's wind that you can't feel or there's something Mm -hmm. broken on your bow. But you can't, like, you can't open with an eight thinking it's a great shot and then follow it by... 10 9 and then you know 119 out of 120 uh, i think it's just being realistic that no it wasn't a good shot even if you thought it was something was wrong maybe the pressure was a bit too high and it changed timing set up something that you can feel well i think this is amazing hearing you say that because I don't know, being in that situation or whatever, is that you work so hard to get prepared for a match and then you go out there and you shoot a fantastic arrow and, and, and it's an eight. How do you have the, let's say, 
I don't want to ask what your game plan was, but how can you follow that arrow and be as composed as you can and like just being like, this is fine. It was supposed to go in the middle. I'm just going to shoot 14 other ones and then 12 out of 14 are going to be in the 10. Like how much bravery does that take? It takes a lot of gut. It takes a lot of self-belief that I've, you know, found recently. But also I opened my very first match of the world championship with a seven. <laughs> and and I knew that was a bad shot, you know. I was like, okay, that's that then. And yeah, followed by uh five tens. And I was like, okay, we're back on track. That's okay. All we right. can relax now. So it just it takes experience and more understanding and also just being, yeah, I guess brave and just I tried to remind myself I was there to enjoy the moment. And so it was probably due to pressure and stress that it was an eight. And so I just went, okay, well, let's just enjoy this. You know, she hit hit the bullseye. I, I shot an eight. Well, <laughs> going and see what happens, you know, just before I would have got frustrated and you know hit my stabilizer on the floor and not being able to just move on whereas here uh frustration was there obviously you never want to start a match with an eight but it was just in the background i was like okay don't focus on it just focus on the next shot and when you go through this string of 12 out of 14 tens, what goes through the mind of an archer shooting quarterfinals for world championships against one of the best archers, probably might be considered the best compound female of all time. And you're there and it's televised. How can you, I, I think most people listening to this would be fascinated to hear how you handle yourself throughout the match. What do you do to manage to just drill those tens? It's just you try and believe that you've done all the work before getting there, that you've had the best preparation you could have, and that, yes, you can shoot 10s. You know, the 8 you just shot is doesn't define you, mm. and you just focus on the next one. You, you try and forget what happened and just keep on going. When you shoot this match, is it like every arrow is a world of its own for you? Yeah, you, you try to shoot every arrow as just a one-off, not uh, not the 15, and you try and keep on going. Touching a few things you were commenting there, especially as, as we know for a few years already, I can kind of see how you changed as a person over COVID, uh, which is really fascinating, is that you approach preparedness as a holistic thing is it's not just about being able to shoot well which is probably the Sarah of 2016-17 would say like I don't need to do gym or whatever because I shoot well and now you kind of like uplifted yourself during COVID and now she goes to the gym twice a week and does stuff at home <laughs> you might be joking about it but the, a what what made you do the change and b it feels like from what you're saying already is that you feel more prepared due to that. What what can you say about that? Uh, well, I found someone that I had very good contact with that, well, the fact that at the start I was paying for it, 
make me you know go okay i have to go <laughs> whereas when it was free on the program you go well it's you know it's at 7am do i really want to get up not so much does it bring anything well not quite you know i just want vegas why <laughs> why should i go to the gym and then you grow up and you realize that well you kind of need to Uh, put some strength on to protect your shoulders and just to be stronger as well. Uh, we're working a lot on my core, which is, you know, helping and just, you know, having somebody else to commit to helps. It's even more interesting. I don't know if you remember a couple, oh, I, I want to say like a year ago, I was doing some work and I sent you a graph for you to fill in of like your career progression. It was just at outset of, uh, of COVID. And I remembered you draw like a big dip of how your career is progressing due to the pandemic and kind of listening to what you're saying now and, and knowing how, you, how much you improved your technique as well over, I want to say six months, putting your thumb on the peg finally. Big thing. <laughs> yeah, big thing. Uh, so... <laughs> If you got to get that graph again, would you change uh, how you filled it in? Uh, probably. I think, you know, having a break from, well, having the pandemic helped, I would have never stopped shooting. I would have never taken six months off, which actually did me, it was really hard mentally. Like, I, I struggled. It was, uh, but... By the time I picked up my bow again, I felt a lot better. Like, I think that break helped leaving stuff behind. And yes, I, I'm sure I came back stronger from that pandemic break. It's very, uh, it's very textbook in that sense, is how people grow from negative experiences and trauma uh, that might be a bit of a too strong word here but definitely if you look at something as an opportunity to grow then definitely it sounds like you made the best out of it and that's oh yeah the fact i didn't have to compete every weekend or every other week to get on a plane mm -hmm. meant we could change everything that was wrong with my technique you know i can now put my thumb on a trigger Like, you know, it sounds insane to say. I've uh, never been able to do it for longer than what, two training sessions. And then I go, no, this doesn't work. It gives me anxiety. And now I can put it on and leave it on. You know, it's... And it doesn't, like, spark something in my head that goes, ooh, has to go off. You know, you need to shoot it, otherwise it will move. No, I can, you know, sit there. And going forward, the next phase of your career, are you going to change the way you build a year, the way that you compete every weekend, etc., with those kind of like lessons that you learned over the pandemic? I will try to not get back into that, you know, crazy schedule of going every weekend because I realized that I don't need to go every weekend. I do enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I like being on a field every weekend. But it's a lot of travel in the UK. Being in Scotland, you know, usually at least three hours drive. Uh, 
it's it does tire you out for the rest of the season. So I think I will try to make my schedule lighter than it used to be and focus on important competitions. I'm sure the, the competitions at Air and the Sweden are going to be <laughs> sorely missed. Sad to not see me, but also... <laughs> Oh God, I, I keep reminiscing on how much I loved like living there, shooting there, and how much I hated the conditions of those venues there are just yeah. terrible. Yeah, I think I will pick I will, you know, draw my schedule with places I like to go <laughs> rather than weekend I want to fill. We kind of like glazed over um last year and but when you approach archery in general. It's a very difficult question. I'm trying to phrase it a little bit better. But how do you approach archery? Like, I'll go back a little bit. One of the things that really got to me when I came to Edinburgh and saw how you practice, how Alistair coaches, is that it was very unorthodox uh, for me. Uh, coming from Israel, which was very uh, Russian-orientated, and see a completely different approach and obviously <laughs> an, an approach that is working very very well winning vegas european indoors outdoors um kind of like everything uh world cup medal is there something at uh, lancaster as well yes. kind of like keep forgetting one of the many many achievements you have what would you say is different in what you do that people might not realize looking from the side I'm sure people think I shoot hundreds of arrows every day and, you know, thousands of arrows a week. I do not. <laughs> I do not have, maybe I will say the brain power, but it's more the focus. I can't, I can't just sit in the range and shoot hours, four hours and hours. It's just, I have, ah, I'm probably a goldfish. I can't really focus for too long. So uh, there are, yes, there will be days I will shoot 200 arrows. But usually it's more, it's closer to 90 than to 200. Uh, I'm trying to practice a little bit more as well with having a session in the morning and a session in the afternoon if I don't have uh, gym sessions. But, yeah, I'm not... I'm not Ella Gibson. I don't spend hours out on the field just shooting because I get bored quickly and I can't focus and I feel I'd rather focus on quality than quantity. Mm -hmm. So basically, you're going with, for me, quality practice is doing quality practice, even if it's very short. You'd rather have 90 very quali high quality arrows rather than 200 mediocre ones, basically. Yes. And this is quite actually quite interesting because you mentioned Ella Gibson. So basically, between you and her, kind of like the number one and two in Great Britain at the moment, kind of swapping places. So two archers, two fantastic archers and two very different approaches to archery. It's interesting. Well, I'm, you know, I've been doing this for half my life as an international archer. Mm. I've, I've put the hours in, <laughs> you know. Did you train more as a kid growing up, like volume of arrows? Probably, 
but definitely without the quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. So throughout your life, quality has been the important thing. Yes. Kind of like it reminds me a little bit of, I don't remember if it was Brady Ellison or Jay Kaminsky. I think it was Jake when they were referring to volume of errors and everything. He used to say that he doesn't, he, when he was still shooting, he wasn't shooting as many errors before because they put the numbers of errors when they were younger. So now it's more maintenance in a sense, maintenance and making sure it's really, really good. And that kind of like sounds what you're saying here, which is very interesting. Uh, surely for people who think that unless you shoot 200 arrows, seven times a week, you have no chance of doing this to such a high level. Fascinating. Anything else that people might like have their mind blown in their cars right now? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. All right. So if we go back around and. No, I think, you know, uh, when I started working with Alistair, I didn't change much just you know having a good coach will get you where you want to be so if we are in the subject of uh of coaches and alistair mm-hmm. um let's circle around and talk a little bit about him as a coach you and kind of like the leap you made since started working with him what was it 2015 yeah, the end of 2014 so tell us a little bit about it. What made you so you weren't now you live in Edinburgh, obviously working with them, obviously during the pandemic a little bit less, but uh, kind of like on a daily basis before that. So what makes an archer on the Belgium team living in Belgium, pack up the things and move to a whole new country? Uh, not having the right structure to evolve and to get the opportunity to be a professional. So I moved to Edinburgh because Alistair was coaching here. Before that, I would like travel every month to come here a week to see him. Uh, it, it worked great, but you know, it ends up being quite expensive. And having you know, a prestigious university helped in my choice of you know, moving abroad. And I think, yeah, having a coach that's there almost every day did make a big difference to my shooting. How did your first encounter go? Like, how did you find Alistair? How did you, you know, it, I assume that a lot of the listeners, um, who might struggle with finding correct coaching near their home. Not everyone has a high-level coach in their country even. Um, How do you even find the perfect coach for you when they're not in the same country? It's tricky. I've, you know, traveled to the States to see a coach. cost me a lot of money. (laughs) And it worked for a short amount of time. But, you know... Alistair has an online platform. He, you know, does video analysis and stuff. So you're not, even when you go back, you're not alone. He's still putting in the work. Uh, I've known Alistair for decades. He was on the Pro Series 
you know, back in 2007, I think. You did pro series back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I kind of struggle seeing actually, the young actually, actually I've never done that. Uh, well, no, I did enjoy it. It was fun. I was never good at it, but it was fun. Let's, you know, put it that way. It was like three weekends a year where I was having fun with top archers. Fair enough. Basically. And so that's how I knew him. And then, you know, he made uh, Naomi Jones into a 1,400 shooters, 700 mm. uh, amazing indoor archers. So I knew he was good. Uh, so the reputation yeah. was there, basically. And then we met at the World University Champs, where he kindly thought I was staff. And I was like, you were... oh, staff. So not shooting, but I was oh. there as Belgian, <laughs> you know, a Belgian coach. And I was like, oh, thanks. It's lovely to see you too. You know, <laughs> what do you say to that? I'm not that old. You know, at that point, I was only 25. And you're 24, and you go, oh, thanks, no, I'm I'm shooting. And then he quickly went, oh, I've known you for so long, you know, I thought <laughs> you were older or something. I was like, yeah, thank you. And then we started chatting. I ended up that competition crying on the curb uh, because of how badly it went. Uh, 2014 was not was not good. Can I ask a question? Was it like ob- objectively bad, or was it Sarah wanting to win gold and finishing like fifth or something like that? No, it was it was bad. All right. Yeah. It, it, well, it was back when you know I was around the top twenty in the world because I went to everything because I was still funded. Mm-hmm. So, so him, we did talk a bit about my archery and then he got in touch being like oh would you like to start working with me and yeah that's how it started and the first time I came to Edinburgh my PB indoors was 578 I came back home after a week of training and it's not like a week I'm doing today you know we were changing everything and so I shot hundreds of arrows Mm -hmm. And uh, to the point where my finger was bleeding. <laughs> so I went back home and shot a 579. And you're like, okay, this is working. Fun. You know, I've never yeah. done that before. Uh, and yeah, my 578 was from 2011. So it had been a couple of years since, you know, I shot something decent indoors. And then by the end of that season, I was indoor champion, European indoor champion, Vegas champion. So he did, he made it work. Mm-hmm. And with all the challenges, like, um, not going to put words in your mouth, uh, I'm going to put words in mine. Uh, working with Alistair can be a little bit intense sometimes. He is a fantastic coach. He's like probably one of the best in the world, but it can be a little bit tiring at times working with him but obviously it's working so well for you guys um, it works or it doesn't you know uh, his personality will work for some people and it will not mm-hmm. with others and uh seeing the wonder he did with me yeah, yeah. i'm not uh 
Which is kind of in a way, it's amazing that you're saying that for some people it works and for some people not, is that for you it works, uh, which is something maybe objectively from the side looking, you'd be like, probably one of the people who would not manage to handle too much of Alistair over time would be you, but obviously I'm so insanely wrong. So yeah, yeah, I'm so happy. I kind of miss him, haven't seen him in a while, hope he makes his... Don't want to call it a comeback, but see him a little bit around. Well, uh, so obviously moving to a whole different country to do our trees, something that a lot of people might dream about. Edinburgh is it's an insanely pretty place, but still it's moving away from your family, which is must be difficult so tell us a little bit like how does that work for you moving to a country to do archery and leaving your family i don't want to say behind because it's still just an hour flight but it is away from your family after a year of pandemic it feels like you know leaving them behind Mm. Uh, you know it wasn't as easy to hop on a flight and go and see them uh I think it's harder for them than it is for me. Uh, You know, I had to make a choice. It was, you know, my, well, the archery page will tell you it was the right choice to to make. Uh, Yes, obviously, I miss them. It's hard. But in the end, my dream was to be, you know, a successful archer since I've been eight. Uh, I think we are reached that point and I think my parents are really proud even if it's you know hard for them to not see me and I think they I think they will be happy I made that decision because obviously all they want is for me to be happy and archery is a big part of that so it is it is hard for them to like realize that I'm not going back. It's not just you know do my degree in Edinburgh and then come back. Uh, that I don't think that was ever going to be the case because I know how important it is to be uh, in touch with your coach as often as I am. You know I think it makes a difference. I'm someone who will easily get into bad habits. So it's useful to like see Alistair every week or every other week and be like, oh, you're, you know, leaning back again or you're doing this with your front arm and so on. So. And, and going back to that, actually, two questions. First one would be. So your family is obviously highly supportive of you as an archer, which is something amazing. How much of it is because you come from a long line of archers on both parents' side? I vaguely recall you are the great-granddaughter of the most decorated Olympian in history. Great-great, yes. Great-great, sorry, I apologize. (laughs) Uh, So obviously that, that has to be a big part of how they support you and Yes, I think it, it makes a you know big difference compared to a kid who's gonna pick up a bow and decide they want to be great. Well, you know, some parents will be like, "Yeah, we'll support you," but also, 
when they go, I'm going to move to another country, follow that coach because I believe he's the best and he's going to make me great. I feel that some parents would struggle, uh, you know, having archery as a family thing definitely helped. Yeah, it's, it might be a bit of a tricky question or even an unfair question, but is coming from an archery family an advantage or a disadvantage in the way that, I don't know, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to continue the family legacy in a sense, or did you always perceive it as an advantage? I think it's a bit of an advantage and a disadvantage because they will they will help you reach whichever level you want. So that's the advantage. They will do anything they can to help you. But also you have all that history behind you. You know, you don't want to... Yeah, you want to make them proud. And it is. it has been hard at times. Uh, I've never said in my life I'm going to quit archery because it's in my DNA. I can't. I can't quit. <laughs> it's just, it's what we do, you know. And that goes back to, you said a few minutes ago that your life dream was to become a great archer. You are a great archer. You have been a great archer over the last, not not decade, but definitely more than half a decade. So where does it stop? Like if you already, you haven't obviously, but if you reach that goal, how do you keep going? Like, okay, so you cannot retire. Obviously you just said that. What keeps pushing you? in archery what do you still want to achieve there there's always something else you want to achieve you know i want to go back to vegas and win it uh, again for the yeah. people who yeah. and i want to win it with 900 you know that list is getting longer and i want to add my name to it mm-hmm. uh, there's always there's always something you want to do you know, I want to shoot a 7.10 at 50 meters. You know, uh, I would love to be the first female archer to shoot 600 inside. You were the first one to shoot 300 inside for yeah. people who are not following. So yes. might as well do it twice. I, I would like to. I've had that discussion with uh, Alistair. He doesn't believe that's happening. But... Uh, <laughs> I might get lucky somewhere. And is but it's a good question. Is it a matter of luck? Like, do you feel that when you first shot the first three hundred for a lady, was it luck or was it skill? Or if it's skill, then why not do it twice? How does that work at these levels of archery? So my first three hundred was at the European Championship in 2017, where I was going to defend my title. I opened with 294. You go, okay, there's some, you know, that's a bit tricky. <laughs> and uh, it was in France and they had the practice field right next to the competition field. So between the shooting, I went and shoot another end and yeah, I shot six tens. I was like, okay, I can do this. Walked in and just, yeah, shot. 30s after 30s I was pacing the range by the end because the pressure was so high and it was it it was great to do but I think 
we are not women's, I think, women archers. We're not yet at that level, whereas 600 is what you need to shoot. You know, I'm not saying the guys have to shoot that either, but we're not, the scores are not quite close enough for us to get there, I think. Just to clarify, so that was, you went and shot six tens in between the first and second half. So you just ran off to the. Yeah. And after the practice field, I needed some confidence that I'd lost, having dropped six points in, you know, 30 arrows, which for some is, you know. Yeah, some people cool. are listening here and be like, this is the best day of my life if I drop six points in 30 arrows. Yeah. And when I did it again in Rome, I was, yeah, terrified. I was waiting for that night to happen. <laughs> It didn't, so, <laughs> you know. But this is actually super interesting to me. It's like, how do you even manage to deal with that kind of pressure of like, okay, you go the first end, obviously 30, it's easy, 60, 90. When does the pressure actually start to hit you of like, oh my God, I'm about to shoot something insanely good? Uh, it was before those ends, so... <laughs> <laughs> Not even before, right? So I think... I finished like the first half with 120. And so by the time we got halfway through the second half, I was counting and I was like, oh, it's been 10 ends. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. When is the nine going to happen? And, you know, and that keeps coming back. When it's that nine going to happen? Because at that point, uh, I was on track to break the world record if I didn't lose any point. And, uh, yeah, I remember telling uh, Sandra Hervé from France, oh, when is that nine going to happen? And then I decided to just focus on Jess Nelson's shooting <laughs> and go behind her and, like, distract myself. Well, to be fair, people who don't know Jess is basically punching my clenched face, uh, <laughs> highly entertaining to watch shooting. Uh, oh. No, but seriously, this is actually one of the things that really interests me when you say that, is that most archers, like definitely 90-something percent of people that I know who'd go and start thinking, when is that nine going to come? That nine, it immediately hits them. It's not even like way two arrows until that happens. Well, I would think that as I stepped off the line, uh, never on the shooting line was that crossing my mind. Oh, that's, that's a big difference. On the line, I was focusing on every shot. I was making sure at that point I would come from the left to the middle and I would like make sure every time that was spot on and that I did everything exactly right and focusing on that and yeah it, it worked you know uh, very well uh, but that makes sense that's uh, kind of what we expect from a sports psychology kind of way it's not it's not a distraction it's more like focusing on important stuff that is critical for the shot so that makes a lot of sense so obviously you shoot 300 were you that was a world record back then right how how does it even feel to break world record? 
it is amazing. I've been, you know, chasing that world record since I've been good at indoor shooting. So, you know, probably since 2017, when I shot that 594 at the Europeans, uh, I've been just chasing after it. And when Ella broke it in Luxembourg, I was like, this is getting tricky, you know. <laughs> you can only lose three points now if you want to get it. I was like, okay, fair. So and it's then, ba- basically the first thought that goes through your head when someone broke your world record was like, how do I break the world record now again? Yeah. Well, it wasn't mine, and it stood for a long time uh, before she broke it. And then that same weekend... Uh, my snore broke it, like shot the same score, and I was like, F- <laughs> you know? "Ladies, camp kind of, uh, shooting well." I have to kind of up my game a little bit, and so got to Rome, not you know, not expecting to break that record, and but yeah, it feels it feels great. It's something I've wanted for many years and it finally is mine kind of want to go to how your mind kind of like reacts to stuff because right now you said okay record broken how am i going to break it now whereas some people might go and go into despair when they hear that you go like "Hmm, mission and i kind of like I struggle a lot in the sense of how I perceive talent. Like I, I'm always in the minority here. Is that I don't think there is such a thing as talent for archery apart from, and debatable on, on talent and other things that it's all hard work and, and mental effort. And every now and then something happens that makes me question myself. And one of those things, you probably don't remember that, but we were at Grand Prix in um, Bulgaria. The one that you you won, you were very kind to let me stand. You coached me to the victory. With my amazing uh, coaching talent. Uh, no, but joking aside, you, you were uh, kind. So I was with you be, behind you during the match. It's very engraved in my mind. And I'll remember it for a couple of decades. Is that you were the high ranked. You were shooting against uh, one of the Estonian girls. And judge comes to you and asks you, do you want to shoot second or first? And in that case, most archers that I know go first for like, I want to put the pressure, etc. I'm going to a shoot off. I want to shoot first, blah, blah, blah. And you go and you tell the judge you want to go second. And I was very surprised and asked you why. And you said, well, I'm obviously not going to get into behind in the match. I'm going to lead throughout, so I might as well get used to shooting second uh, or something along these lines. And I was dumbstruck because I was like, this has to be the mind of a champion. Like, normal people don't think that way. So maybe in a sense, archery talent is is exactly that, is how you think and how you see things that other people don't. So that was kind of like a story that kept. So even when you say like world record breaks, how how am I going to break it now in like a positive way? It keeps challenging my thoughts. So uh, appreciate you for doing that. All right. So I think we kind of went 
through everything. And I kind of want to ask you is that you're an elite archer. Obviously, you're one of the best in the world in what you do. You won mostly any, everything and anything, uh, world records, etc. How do you how do you go forward? It's like people would say, like must have the best technique, etc. What do you keep doing different when you are at that level? How do you find new ways to make yourself a better archer when you already shoot five ninety fives and above? Uh. Well, I think the strength and condition conditioning has helped over the past uh, two years now. Uh, it has made a difference. Uh, I think having having a great coach is is you know why you improve, but also every other compound woman is improving. You don't want to. You know, I don't want to be left behind. They are, I think, the game is getting harder. So you, you kind of have to, to match those archers, the ones who are challenging you. And I think that's what keeps me going. You know, I don't want to be left behind and... You change little things that you believe are gonna help you, you know, win that, get that extra point that no one else has, and you you find little things to change. Uh, well, over the you know, uh, over last winter, we changed everything, <laughs> and which takes a lot of guts, to be honest. Like you are an archer who already breaks world records and then you change everything hoping to get those two extra points that are missing that is insane like when you think about it from the side like just you know uh, trust alistair on that plan uh there are days in practice where i was like where is where is this going because this is not and you go okay you know the first competition is Lausanne you've got so many weeks you go okay that that's fine and then it's coming closer and closer and it's starting to get better but also you don't get to practice at 50 meters that often because of the pandemic because things are not properly open yet so that that was tricky so I had to shoot 30 meters indoor and be like okay there is improvement and you just you keep going you just trust what he's doing of course i've questioned it and there are days where i've gone but you know it worked before why are we changing everything and it's just because it will make you a better archers better archer and yes it did you know finished fifth at the Worlds. Uh, I've not finished fifth before. Yes, I've been in the last eight for the past three World Championships. But it got me further. You know, it got me to a shoot-off against what people will call the best compound archer in the world. 
So you just have to put that trust into someone and believe they have a plan. And what have you got planned for the next year? I know you have some equipment changes already in mind. As of today, I'm shooting for PSE. So I've had I've had a great time with Matthews, you know, 10 years uh, being on their staff. It was amazing. I've, you know, at the moment achieved everything with them. But I'm ready to start this new experience and... I hope it's the right move for my career. I do love the bow and yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I do go to the shooting range with like more motivation than I did before. That's good. What bow are you using? The BSC, which model? At the moment, I'm shooting the Citation 36. Okay. I do apologize for my audience. If I was more of a compounder, I'd like probably shoot <laughs> 500 questions at you, but you know, it's okay. they can ask you in comments or whenever you're posting, if anyone has like serious questions about it. Uh, also moved to Easton over last year, I think as well. So there's a big changes overall. Uh, they are. Yes. And uh, I picked Easton because it's a company I trust and arrows I know. Um, I'm excited to shoot the RX-7 indoors because of the, it's a weaker spine, but it still is a 2315. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. I've been doing a lot of testing and they're shooting great. Good to know. I have, I have a couple, I have a dozen somewhere I might actually pick up and actually try and do them. So what are you going to shoot this year? Vegas, Neem, Lancaster, what's on your mind? So this season will start for me with the British Indoor and the back-to-back. -back uh, first week of December? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'm going to Berlin two weeks later. See you there. After, uh, yeah, Christmas break. And then uh, going on a um, three-weeks-long trip with Nimes, Lancaster, and Vegas. Uh, hopefully, they put the European indoors on. Mm -hmm. and Still on at the moment, at least. Uh, let's see yeah. how the pandemic uh, handles it this year. I should be going there, uh, depending on whether or not anyone else has shot scores because I can't. So my federation wants scores from this year, which is not possible for me because there is no shoot before the first weekend of December, unless I want to drive six hours. Mm -hmm. I love archery, just not quite that much. <laughs> so if nobody else wants to go they will use my score from 2019 and send me I know. so yeah european indoors and maybe if i feel you know safe about traveling and everything go to indoor nationals in the u.s oh okay cool sounds like a good year overall well you know kind of have to make some money 
Well, it's a must be interesting to people to hear. No, but like for you, going to these competitions is about the prize money. I uh, don't think there are that many archers in the world that this is the consideration for them. Again, part of being such a elite archer, uh, how is your funding with your uh, governing body this year with finishing fifth at the World Championship? Did that help? Uh, I hope so. We don't know yet. So the paperwork's been handed in when we came back from the world to see if I can get back on a full-time contract. Mm-hmm. Um, patiently waiting for their answer. You know, I'm not stressed about it at all. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things for athletes is when... They're waiting for funding is not fun. And when you get funding, it's such a relief, isn't that? That you know that you can do like the next year doing the thing that you love and getting paid for it. Yeah, and being able to like pay your bills, have food and all that. But also it's, yeah, harder being a non-Olympic sport. Yeah, how, how do you... First of all, what, are, what do you think is it ever going to happen, uh, compound being Olympic? I don't think so. You, know. you don't think so? Right. Well, if it happens, I'll be too old. <laughs> well, you know, um, what was the um, Polish guy from this Olympics? How old he was he? 50-something, and that's recurve. Well, I think I'll be too old because if we become an Olympic sport, my federation, or at least... Uh, governing bodies for the Olympic will start putting funding in and young people are going to start spending more time practicing. Yeah, but they still need to beat Sarah Priels. What is this? <laughs> yeah, but also the next chance would be 2028. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be 38, guy. Yeah, I'm going to be 38 as well. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, well, you first. Yeah, true. Two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the young one. Cool. So I kind of feel like that's everything. And I really hope that people listening kind of like got the idea of what it is to be Sarah Priels in, in some way, at least. I cannot really convey it to the people listening in. Obviously, I had several years knowing you, practicing with you and seeing you compete which is uh, watching Sarah compete can be an amazing experience. Oh. You know, I, I was more, uh, what was it, Nottingham, that I was way more nervous about her shooting for European yeah. Championships than she was there just doing it. But I kind of hope that everyone listening in kind of got the gist of Sarah. We definitely wish you the very best for this coming year. Thank you. Anything you'd want to add to the people listening in? Find a good coach. Uh, that person doesn't have to live near you. There's the internet now. Mm. Uh, online coaching is becoming more and more used and I think can already help you achieve a lot of things. Uh, it's definite. There's so many um, programs now you watch online, videos, coaching. That is true, Sarah. Thank you for that comment. So with this optimistic note and Sarah Priels, thank you so much for coming here. Thank you, Guy. I hope I didn't steal too much of your time.
No, it's fine. Practice can wait. Yeah, practice is for weaklings, you know. I can still, can still fit in 90 hours over the next 10 hours. Don't worry. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Next time, we'll interview someone else and get their idea of what it is to be an elite archer. So up until next time, thank you all. Sarah, thank you very much again. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. See you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Archery on My Mind. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new about the minds of champions. If you like this episode, please feel free to subscribe, like, comment, share, and tell your friends, teammates, coaches, and even your opponents. Make sure you tune in for our next episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other platform you like. A quick reminder to follow us on our website, archermethod.com, a growing platform for elite performance in archery. Thanks again. See you next time.